This morning, uh, we are so excited of the Celebrate Family's faith journey, and uh, we are so excited about that. I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that just with a, just kind of a flippant attitude. Uh, this morning is super important to them and super important to us. And so this morning, as I was kind of praying through what God would have us speak about this morning in anticipation of those great uh, steps of faith for these families, um, the Lord kept kind of running something through my mind. And uh, the Holy Spirit kept kind of just prompting me along these lines of uh, what can we do and how can we create a legacy of faith in our families? How can we create a legacy of faith? I love that video. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I'm watching and I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of messed up. I mean, like you're playing with your kids and you're like, oh, I wish I had more fantasy football time. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't know where we're going with this. And the more I got to the end, and I was like, oh. And if we're honest, as a mom or a dad, as a grandparent, as an aunt and uncle, you understand that the time you invested in your child, maybe the time that was invested in you as a young person, was worth it. It was worth it. And can we just pause for a moment and say that in our society today, man, I think we're really just too busy Man, we're instant everything, right? I worked with teenagers for a long time, and I watched the launch of the smartphone and how it radically changed my youth group. I mean, there, was, there were cell phones before that, and the texting was that, whatever you call that one where you have to do like, you had to hit it three or four times to get to the letter you want. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, some of you are laughing because you were like trying to figure that out, and then they came out with a keyboard, and you were like, I just finally figured out this way of texting, and now you give me a whole new thing, Okay. Some of you still use those phones. Some of you still have flip phones. How many people have a flip phone? Raise your hand proud. Don't you? Don't, proud. Mm. That's right. Right? I'm not going to ask if anybody has a jitterbug because that's just too revealing. So I won't ask that question. But, man, it was like all of a sudden as technology, which, by the way, technology is a blessing, right? Man, do you realize the gospel is spreading to places it's never been because of technology? I mean, Bible translators can do translations so much faster because of technology. There is great blessing in technology. Life has become in some ways easier because of technology. But man, I feel like sometimes it's made us so instant. It's like we don't know how to talk to each other a lot of times. We just have to do this. It's, well, I'll send, you a mess, I'll send you a text message. It's funny. It's like you have to tell someone, like, if, if I called you, if you're talking about the millennial generation or the younger people today, if you just called them and didn't text them first to ask if it was okay to call them, they would be like, I can't believe you just called me. What if I was busy? No, no, I want you to text me. Can I call you? Then call me. How ridiculous is it? Call some, put up, hi, how are you today? It's amazing. Those phones, they do more than texting and Facebook, apparently, Okay. But I think in the midst of all of this craziness and as our culture has gotten faster and faster and faster, man, we've kind of missed out on that time of just investing in the next generation. And I don't say that just as maybe you're here and you don't have children, but you're a part of our church family. Listen, you get to invest in the next generation by just being a part of our church. We've got junior church workers right now that are serving your children. It's not babysitting for them. It's investing for them. Our nursery workers know they're not just watching kids. They're investing in these children with the love and the grace of God. 
then but how do we create that legacy of faith? How do we encourage the next generation? And let me just say this in the onset, because I know some of you are looking at me like, you look pretty young to teach me about how to create a legacy of faith. I only have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old. I've not done it all. I've not raised them into adulthood. None of them are married yet. Praise the Lord. Okay, pray for that day. That's going to be two very strong women, okay, very gracious women that will marry my boys one day, okay. So I'm not speaking to you like I've got, you know, 40, 50 years of experience. Some of you have raised whole families. And, man, you can look back and you can see the, the high points. And you can see the low points. You can say, man, we really did great in this area. But, man, we really dropped the ball in this area. Because you've lived it. Your children are now having children, and it's just this great cycle. Now you get to invest in grandkids, and what a blessing that is. So I'm not talking to you like someone who's got all the answers. I've done it all. I know every situation. You're never going to encounter something I've not experienced. Let me teach you from my vast wisdom. Can I just tell you that if somebody tries to start there, thank them for their time, listen graciously, and take very little of what they say. Because if the, if the baseline for your wisdom is in you, there's a flaw. It's imperfect. So this morning, I don't want to just talk about experience. Experiences are great. They can help. But I want to give us a different baseline. I want to look at the Word of God this morning and say, what does the Word of God teach us as some basic principles for creating a legacy of faith? Now again, I'm not saying we're going to go through an exhaustive list of everything that's involved or everything you did or didn't do. I just want to give you some basic principles of how to create a legacy of faith. And I believe that's what's happening today, by the way. When these young people come and are baptized, and when these, this family comes and does a dedication in just a little bit here, they're, they're creating this legacy of faith. They're passing on this legacy of faith. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible this morning with you, uh, we would love to encourage you. You can actually go on the app store, download our church app, North Goodland, BC. And on our app, there is a Bible app. You can pull that right up and use the Bible on there. Uh, if you're not looking for, you don't want to go through all of that right now, you can download Version Bible app. It's a great Bible app you can get on your device if you're using a phone or a tablet this morning. Um, or if you don't have that available too and you just want to get a Bible, we have Bibles available at the Welcome Center. All you need to do is just go to the Welcome Center, say, hey, can I have a Bible? They'll give you one. No questions asked. No obligations, no credit cards, no DNA, no nothing, just it's yours. So many people come to church and they go, oh, I don't have a Bible, I forgot it, or I, you know, I just don't have one. Please don't ever feel weird about that. Man, the greatest gift we could give you this morning is the Word of God. Because listen, I don't have the answers. You don't have all the answers. Government doesn't have all the answers. Oprah, believe it or not, doesn't have all the answers. Dr. Phil doesn't have all the answers. But man, when we go to the Word of God with an open heart and we say, Holy Spirit, will you just speak to me this morning? Man, he'll reveal himself to you through his Word. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith coming by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Man, this is a valuable gift that God has given us, his Word. So look at first, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. I want to look at an example in the New Testament of a young man that experienced a legacy of faith that was passed on to him. And I believe that he passed on to others. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, it says this, the Apostle Paul, who is kind of like the spiritual father of Timothy, he's kind of the one that led him in his faith and kind of 
helped him to be discipled in his faith and mentored him. He's writing to Timothy here. This is the last time that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy as Paul's in prison, uh, ready to be martyred for his faith. He's writing to this young man in the faith some words of encouragement. And listen to what he says in verse 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. That I am persuaded it's in you as well. What is in him? Their faith was passed on. I want to pray real quick this morning. I want to ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to us this morning. And listen, I don't know where you are in your journey with him. I really don't. Some of you may be here and you know Christ personally. You have a very intimate relationship with him. I mean, it's, it's just second nature to wake up in the morning and you just start communicating with him. You just start getting to know him. You're just spending time in his word and prayer. And you just, you walk with him daily. It's just a very intimate relationship. Some of you here this morning are kind of at the other end of that journey. You're just starting out in your walk of faith. You don't really know a lot yet. You're still kind of learning a lot. You know Christ is your Savior, but you've kind of still, you're kind of in the beginning stages of that journey. Man, praise God for that, by the way. Praise God for those that are just starting out. Maybe you're here and, and you don't even know Christ this morning as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you've gone to church before. Maybe you don't go to church. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is your thousandth time in church. Let me just let you know at the onset here, going to church will not give you salvation. Doing good things will not bring you salvation. Being a good person will not bring you salvation. There's only one way that God, our holy God, allows us into his heaven, and it's by receiving his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his gift on the cross, death and burial. See, this morning it's so powerful, if you can understand this, that listen, you and I were born, created, we were given sin when we were born. We sin, we make mistakes, we're not perfect. And it's amazing, every person I've ever talked to in this, in this conversation, I ask them, are you perfect? No, we understand that. So what do we do with this imperfection before a holy and perfect God? We have to have a sacrifice that is given to pay for our imperfections, to cover our imperfections, and that sacrifice was Jesus Christ. Over 2,000 years ago, he left heaven, lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, rose again the third day, and ascended to heaven, doing all of it that if we would by faith just believe and receive that gift for ourselves, asking the forgiveness of sins and receiving him into our lives. I don't want to say ask him into our heart or accept him because God doesn't really need our acceptance, Right? And let's be real, God is pretty self-sufficient. He doesn't need your acceptance to exist. He's God. So it's not so much we accept him and validate him, we are just accepting what he did for us. We're saying, I believe that covers my sin personally. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. And if you will make that decision this morning, it's not about being Baptist, charismatic, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, or anything else. It's about receiving Jesus Christ personally into your life and finding forgiveness of sins. That's the Bible says, not me, the Bible says, that is how we are given eternal life. And so once you've received that gift, now you begin to pass that on to the next generation. Many of us have life insurance. This is not for any personal gain. Our church is not going to keep record of this. How many of you have life insurance? Just raise your hand. Some form of life insurance. Okay? Just think for a second. Don't answer out loud. Why? Just think for a second. Why did you get life insurance? The guy was really good on the phone, right? He, 
you need this. You need $5,000 a month for the next 30 years, and you'll be great, okay? Whatever. They sold you into it. Some of you were like, you know what? We need to be ready. We need to be ready. What are we really getting ready for? You don't need the money when you die. Are you taking it with you? No. We talked about that before. There's no U-Haul coming behind your hearse, okay? So why do we, what do we mean to say we got to be ready for this? We mean we want to be ready so that our family who are left behind can be taken care of, that final expenses are covered. We're not a burden to them. What are we doing? We're thinking ahead. We're trying to prepare and plan for when we leave this place. Some of you have created financial situations where you can give a trust to your children or grandchildren when you leave this place. And those are great gifts and great ways to be prepared. But I wonder why we spend so little time helping prepare the next generation spiritually, not just financially. Because, listen, your money won't last as long as you think it will. Those trusts and that gift won't last as long as you think it will. But the spiritual investments you make in your children, grandchildren, and your family, those will last for eternity. Look what Paul says here to Timothy about his grandmother and his mother. It says, man, I knew the faith that was in them, and now I see that faith in you. Many times this verse, this passage is brought up on Mother's Day because it speaks of a grandmother and a mother. And let me just say something. There's nothing like a godly mom and dad to pass on their faith. There's nothing like that. Some of you are parents, and you've passed on your faith to your children and your grandchildren. Can I just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for being unwavering. Thank you for showing your faith and living it. And I know what you're thinking. If you're like me, you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not perfect. I didn't do it perfectly. I messed up here, and I lost my patience there. And the first time they got behind the wheel of a car, I thought they were going to kill us all. And so I kind of freaked out a little bit and maybe lost my temper a little bit. We've all been there. Oh, I haven't yet. I'm going to be. Pray for that. I mentioned I have a 10-year-old. Double digits. Double digits. Okay, 10. You know what that means, right? So driving, right? Six years still driving. In two years, he'll be in junior high. Let that middle school, I'm sorry, junior high, middle school, let that sink in for a moment. I'm going to have a middle schooler. When I say it, you go, yeah. When I say it, there's this little hair on the back of my neck that just, bing, right up. I'm not ready for this. I'm not even close to ready for this. So I understand imperfect parenting. By the way, if you're an older person here today, and you've raised a whole family, and it's just great, and of course all your kids were perfect when they were little, it's always amazed me, well, my children would never have done that in church. Uh Uh-huh. Your kids were the ones swinging from the chandeliers. Like, what are you talking about right now? Well, my, my children, they would come and stand by our sides, perfectly pressed suits and dresses, Yes, mother. Yes, father. No, no one does this, okay? No one does this. So if you're an older person here today and you see a child acting crazy and his last name is Chippewa, do me a big favor. Man, just love on them, okay? I mean, bring the route of correction if you have. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. No. No, listen, if you see children these days, please, as an older person that you've lived that whole experience, encourage those parents. Love on those parents. Support. Listen, as a young father, I I really don't need your criticism. I don't need your opinion on how it should go. What I really need is your prayers, your support, your wisdom at times. But I've met some people, they just want to give you wisdom with no support, no encouragement. It's just more like, hey, well, you know, 
if he did this, this, and this, your kid wouldn't act like that. Well, thanks. Yeah, I didn't know that. Thank you for that wisdom. I mean, I had no idea that if I didn't give him six gallons of Mountain Dew, they wouldn't act like this. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Man, this legacy of faith is something that is internal, eternal, when we talk about the lasting effect. So what did they pass on? It says here that there was a faith that they passed on, that they, that they had a faith in them that is now in Timothy. So how did they do this? What did they pass on? Really quickly, look at chapter 3 of the same book, 2 Timothy chapter 3. How did they pass this on, this faith? How did they encourage Timothy in his faith? Where did they, their faith come from? Chapter 3 and verse 14, look what it says here. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them thou hast learned, or knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Remember we talked about this just now. It's not faith in your good works. It's not faith in your ability to provide for your home. It's not faith in your 401k. It's not faith in your job. It's not faith in your talents. It's not faith in your church attendance or your tithe check. I mean, we'll take them, but it's not getting you to heaven, okay? Like, it's not, that's not guaranteeing you salvation. It is faith in Christ Jesus alone. And by the way, you should be so excited for that. Because if my faith in Christ gives me salvation and eternal life, then it's not my sin that will take it away. Can I say that again? If Christ offers it to you freely, you receive it, it's not your imperfections after that that will lose it. The Bible says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. You are given eternal life. And he is the one. Listen, I asked you at the very beginning, I kind of threw a little bit of a, Trick question out there. I said, how many of you struggle in your faith? And some of you raise your hands. I'm so thankful that when I struggle in my faith and I want to let go of Jesus because it's just getting a little too hard to follow, he doesn't let go of me. Amen? And I'm so thankful for that. Because it's not me. I don't do anything to make myself saved or get saved. It is Jesus alone. So if Jesus saves me, it is Jesus by the same grace that will sustain me and then keep me. And so when I stand before him one day, as 1 John says, I will be like him. I don't stand and go, I got here on my own accord. I stand there and I say, man, I'm here because of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his grace alone. It is not by works that you are saved. It is by grace. Why? So that no one could boast. No one can glory in themselves. You see here, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, there's some key things that your grandmother and mother passed on to you. And by the way, just because it brings up his mom and grandmother, do not discount the influence of a godly dad and a gr godly grandfather. And some of you are men of God, men of integrity, and you walk with Christ and you're bold in your faith and you declare it, not shy, not embarrassingly, but boldly you say, I know Jesus. And it makes a difference. And it is the word of God that they pass down. It is the God, God's word that was given to Timothy as a child. It wasn't going to church or being a good person. So how do we do this? How do we create a legacy of faith? How do we follow this example here in Scripture? Real quick, three simple things I believe that we can do. If you're taking notes this morning, three things that we can do to encourage the next generation in their faith. We can first and foremost, as Lois and Eunice did, communicate the word of God to them. 
communicate the word to them, make gathering together as the church a priority, not just an occasional habit. Make gathering together as the church a priority. As the kids are in various ministries throughout Sunday morning and during the week, classrooms or services, they are being exposed to the word of God every single time. They're given the word of God and a chance to know it more. And we, honestly, as a church, are so blessed to have a small part in the legacy that you are preparing and passing on to your children and grandchildren. But it's not just coming to church. It's not just exposing them to the Word of God here, which is great, but that's not where it can stay. It doesn't stay in church. You make the Word a part of your family's daily life. You see, now we're going from that's what we do at church to that's what we do as a family. And for a child, I'm telling you, ask somebody that worked with teenagers, do you know the number one thing a teenager and a young person is looking for? Genuine. They want genuine faith. They want a real faith. They don't want something we just do at church. Because listen, they see through that. And if it's just church and that's all it is, I'm telling you, it will be a harder journey for them in their faith. And I can tell you that because I've seen it firsthand. I've seen students try and try and try and get zero encouragement at home, and it makes it so tough on them. Do you realize at best we have your child or grandchild for three to four hours a week? A week, three or four hours. Man, you have them in your home. You can encourage them, not just by bringing them to church, but including the Word of God in your family's daily Life. Now let me just say this, it doesn't have to be a Bible study or a lesson every single night. It doesn't have to be this big drawn out 45 minute sermon that you give your kids every day. Maybe you personally are studying the word and there's a principle that you see in the word of God and then a situation arises in your child or grandchild's life and you can apply it to the word of God and you can expose them to the word of God and reference the principle and it's done and over with in 5-10 minutes but you've exposed them to the word of God in a loving and gracious way. Show your family the practicality of the Word of God. It's not just a church book, but a practical and living book that we are using for every day of our lives. Paul encourages Timothy, if you see there in the verse, to continue in the things that he learned. See, as an adult, all of those teachings that he experienced as a child and continued to experience into his younger 20s were not any less true the older he got. Let me say, all those studies and verses and all that that he learned as a child, as he got older, they didn't become less true or less vital to his life. Some of us, we read these stories in the Old Testament about David and Goliath and Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and his brothers, and we go, oh, those were great junior church stories. Those are great Sunday school stories, but how do they really apply to me today? They apply directly to you today. And that's the key. We can't just forget them and say, well, I learned that once before. We have to live it out every day of our lives as we continue to encourage those around us. I want you to think for a moment about Timothy's mom and grandmother. Do you think that they thought when Timothy was five or six years old and coloring crayon on the sidewall of the living room, they probably didn't have crayons, but just go with me, okay? As he's doing that, Do you think they thought, yeah, this guy's going to be the leader in the church one day? Yeah, this guy's going to work with the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian missionary we've ever read of, and he's going to lead church after church after church. It's going to be great. Do you think that ran through their mind? Man, I bet you they had visions and dreams for Timothy. I bet you they thought, man, I don't know what God's going to do, but God's going to do something great with this kid. And you know, here's the other thing. I bet they spoke that to him and said, man, God's going to do great things to you one day. They had no idea what it would be exactly, 
They didn't know for sure that he'd be leading in the church and actually establishing churches and then appointing pastors and deacons in churches. I mean, talk about a serious role in the church. Responsibility directly from the Apostle Paul to say, you're going to organize this church. But yet, they spoke into his life. And they laid the foundation of the Word of God. And so when that time came as he was older, he could look back on that foundation and he had the groundwork to do what God called him to do. You have no idea what your children and grandchildren are going to do for God. Not even a clue. I mean, you don't even know. Some of them could be missionaries in places where there's never heard the gospel. Thousands and thousands of people could come to Christ because of your son or daughter, your grandchild, your niece, your nephew. And it's not you that did it, but you laid a foundation by just speaking the word of God to them and encourage them with the word of God, helping them to grow in their faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to help your children grow in their faith, expose them to the word of God. They incorporated the word of God into his life, and it created a desire to know God more. And I believe it will happen for us as well. But secondly and quickly, not just giving them the word of God, communicating the word of God to them, but to continue to be faithful personally. And I want to just spend just a few moments here. To continue to be faithful personally. As you continue to encourage your family with the word of God, you need to keep focused. You need to keep focused. There will be seasons of doubts, rebellion, discouragement, not just for your child, not just for your grandchild or your family member, but for you personally. For your family, there will be seasons like this. Remember, you can't give your family what you don't have personally. So in those seasons of doubt and discouragement, what do you rest in? Where do you go to? Your personal faith in Christ is what's going to be the light to them. See, now it becomes real. Now it becomes real stuff. When they get discouraged in their faith walk, you can be that light and that voice of encouragement to them. But you have to be living that out personally. I just talked about that genuine faith that we have to stay focused because if we try to pass off a fake faith to our children and grandchildren, they're going to see it. Man, we need to be focused personally, faithful personally. Hebrews 12, 2, I love this word of encouragement from the word of God on staying focused. Listen to what the word of God says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I love that phrase, by the way, the author and finisher. Philippians 1, 6, he that has begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Everything God promises to do, he will do, and he'll do it completely. Isn't that awesome? God promises he's going to save you and will save you one day when you leave this place. And you can trust that. Why? Because God has never broke a promise once. Some of you are just so, so, so excited about that. That's all right. You'll get there one day. It's all right. Man, I'm so thankful that God says you can look unto Jesus because he is the author and finisher of your faith. He is the one that will complete your faith. And so we can stay focused. When we're in that rough season, I love what Greg prayed, that, that when we go through weeks that are just horrible weeks and just hard weeks, and man, listen, for the Brown family and for the Proctors, I can't imagine what this week has been like. This is roller coaster up and down, up and down. But when we go through those, where do we go? What do we look to? Do we look to self? We look to just willpower, I'm just going to make it through. And all you're going to find is discouragement, disappointment. For some of you, maybe you've even stumbled into depression through that. Listen, when you look unto Jesus and you realize he is the one I'm fixed on, he is the one that I'm drawn to, man, your circumstances can change 
Or they can stay the exact same, but you're focused on Jesus, and so the circumstances lose their power over you. The Apostle Peter, walking on the waves, the moment he started sinking was when? When he took his eyes off Jesus. And then he started to sink. And why did he take his eyes off of Jesus? Because the waves got so big. And he realized, man, this storm is getting crazy. And so he took his eyes off of Jesus. He looked at the circumstances and he started to sink. I believe there's a principle there we can apply to our lives that we too must keep our eyes on Jesus no matter how crazy the waves get because they're going to get crazy and they get crazy and they get crazy. So we focus on Jesus and we focus on him and we say, I don't know what's going on around me, but I know you have a purpose and a plan and I'm just going to draw closer to you because I don't get it, but you do, so I'm going to trust in you. Because at the end of the day, what else do you have? I love when Jesus asked the apostles, when all of this multitude... You see, I love what Jesus did in the Gospels, by the way. When all these crowds would gather, I think some, some of our, our churches in America need to learn this principle. When all these crowds would gather for handouts, which is what they were doing, right? Oh, he healed people, he gave out food. I want some. And then he would say things like this. You want to know eternal life? You can have it. You just got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Jewish people that were like on the fringe were like, we're out. Oh, you want to follow me? Great. Pick up your cross and let's go die together. I'm out. Whenever these crowds would gather, Jesus would always make a definitive statement that would challenge them in their faith or their lack thereof and say, where do you want to trust? Are you trusting in the stuff or are you going to trust in me? And after one of these big crowds were dispersed, he looked at the apostles, his disciples, his closest friends, and he says, will you leave too? And I love Peter. Man, Peter said some stupid stuff in the Bible, right? I always feel bad for Peter. I don't really, I mean, I do kind of because he's like me. Only he said it out loud and I would have been like, oh, I'm not saying that. But I thought it. <laughs> Man, Peter says, where else would we go? Man, where else would we go? You. You're all we have. You're all we need. Now, is that true? Did they really stay that course? No. We know that when Jesus was arrested, they just... <laughs> but man, the principle is so powerful. Where else would we go? He has eternal life. He has everlasting peace and love and joy and grace. You don't need anything else. And so as we're talking about this idea of creating a legacy of faith, my personal faith has to be rock solid in Jesus Christ. Because when I go through seasons of doubt and struggle and stress, I need my family to see where am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in as we go through those times together? You see, we can learn from the example of Christ. We can stay focused on him because he was focused on the goal of the cross. What was the goal of the cross? Verse 2 in Hebrews 12 goes on to say this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was focused on something when he was going through the whole process of the cross, and he was focused on, I truly believe, you and me. Because what, what would the joy be in the cross? A beating like that, torturous murder like that, where was their joy in that? It wasn't the joy in the cross itself. It was the joy beyond the cross. What was beyond the cross? Our salvations. I truly believe that Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on that cross, he knew every single one of us. And he knew the point of his death, burial, resurrection was so that you and I would have an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. And I believe that's the joy that he endured the cross, stayed focused on the goal. And I believe we can take the same principle. When we go through those crazy times, we focus on him, the joy of the one day we'll get to be with him personally so we can go through these trials we experience in life. I said it a couple weeks ago, the joy and the blessing of the gospel is not that he will save you from your trials. 
Nowhere in this book does it say he'll save you from your trials, but it tells us over and over in this book that he saved us from our sin. See, that's the beauty of the cross. Not that he'll save you from every trial, but he saved you from your sin, and you will know him personally today and forevermore. There is a goal for us that we can stay focused on that is always worth it. The goal is that your children, grandchildren, family members will know firsthand the love and grace of Christ. They will see it in you personally, and it will be passed on to your children, and they will have the opportunity. Let me say again, the opportunity to receive that for themselves. Real quick, it is not your job to make them Christians. It's not your job to make your kids Christians. It's nowhere in the Bible. It is only your job as a godly mom and dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle, to show them the grace and love of Christ, communicate the word of God to them, and allow them the opportunity to receive it for themselves if they so choose. It is their choice individually. So many Americans think, well, I'm Christian because I come from a Christian family. I'm Christian because my mom and dad are Christian. It doesn't work that way. It's a personal decision that you make in Christ Jesus. It is for them just as it is for you. And so this morning, I don't want to start thinking, man, my kids are this old, and man, they haven't come to Christ. They don't know Christ. They don't have an interest in Christ. What am I doing wrong? You may be doing nothing wrong. You just keep loving them and encouraging them and surrounding them with the Word of God, and they will make their own choice. You keep doing what you need to do. Don't beat yourself up. Don't tear yourself down. But you just keep living that example and let them make their choice that they will make. We need to be focused and keep focused. But secondly, we need to be patient to be patient. This is one I struggle with. Let me just ask a question. Anybody like waiting rooms? Like you like when you walk into a waiting room and there's a stack of like 10-year-old people magazines and you're like, sweet. Anybody like waiting rooms? Anybody like driving in a Tim Hortons drive-thru and you're already five minutes late and the line is backed out on the 53? Anybody like that one? You're like, sweet, I get to wait in line. Okay? Anybody like when you go to Walmart, the speedy checkout? Speedy checkouts, okay? I think that's in quotations, and there's a little asterisk, and it says speedy, subjective to actual real-life speed being slow, okay? Nobody likes waiting. I, could, I despise waiting. I'm the guy that walks through Walmart like, nope, 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 mm, nope. Oh, uh, this one. And as soon as I turn the corner, foo, foo, I got a coupon for that. Uh, Ma'am, it's going to be $1.76. Oh, hold on. I have exact change in pennies. One. And you're just like, Lord Jesus, you know I love you. You know your grace is real. But if you don't get me out of this line, I'm going to see you sooner because I'm going to kill this person. And then I'm going to go to jail and probably be killed there. So I'll see you quickly. It's just, I hate waiting. But so often, waiting, that patience Man, it's something we need vitally as we're creating a legacy of faith. Why? Because it takes time. Can I just say real quick how thankful I am that God is patient with us? I mean, can you imagine God? Just think back over the last 10 years of your life. Last 10 years of your Christian life, if you know Christ, and just the, the roller coaster you were to God. You would have kicked you in the butt a few times if you were God. I've always said, if I was God, so many people would be, there would be less people on this planet. Because I'd be zapping people left and right, man. Like, you're, you're gone. You're gone. You're gone. You did that, you're gone. Okay? I'd be, like, just zap happy. It'd be all over the place. But God is so faithful, and he's so patient. And why is he so patient? 
Man, listen, if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, this is not a scare tactic. This is reality. The only reason you have breath in your lungs is because God has graciously given it to you. You are not your own person. You did not get here by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. God graciously allowed you to have life and breath, and he's given you grace every moment. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, the joy you felt at the birth of your child was a grace gift given by God to you from his Holy Spirit that you could experience what we call the common grace, the everyday grace that he gives to all of us. And I'm telling you right now, the only reason that he is not taking you into any kind of a future judgment or punishment for your sin and not knowing him is because he says in his word, I am long-suffering, I am patient, that everyone will come to repentance. He's given you time on this planet to receive him. And he's brought you here for a reason. Some of you are here visiting. Some of you are here because you're regular. Some of you are here because you're just in the area. Listen, you are not here by accident. There's no accidents with God. He brought you to this place. And I believe it's because he has a message for you. I don't have a message for you because my words are flawed. I'm imperfect. I make mistakes. I've said it a couple weeks ago. If you stand before, if a pastor stands before you and says they got it all figured out, leave that church immediately because they lie into you, okay? They lie in. No pastor's got it all figured out. No Christian's got it all figured out. We all are on a journey of faith and his, his patience that endures us through another day and endures us through another day. Those of, that, those of us that know Christ, we struggle in our faith walk every day, but it's his patience and it's his grace that sustains us that he lovingly guides us into that. And then he says, will you make the decision this time? And then we make the decision that he wants us to make. And he is glorified and we are blessed. And then a few days go by and we make another decision that he doesn't like. We quench the spirit in some way. He's patient with you. You know why he's so patient, loving, and kind? Because he is a perfect heavenly father. He's loving and gracious. He's also a heavenly father that in his patience, he may bring in situations into your life to get your attention on him to correct some things in your life. Because what heavenly father, or what earthly father doesn't know when to step in and correct their children? So he does that in our lives too. But it's all for the glory of God and your blessing. He is patient. He is patient. And so because he is patient, we can be patient with those in our lives, our children, grandchildren. It's something I know I am working on personally. And I pray that you will help yourselves by praying for that and asking God to work in your life as well. So communicate the word of God. We've got to stay focused. We've got to be uh, communicating with them as far as um, the, the word of God to them, but also faithfully growing in our own walks. But then number three and finally, we're constantly in prayer for them. We're constantly in prayer for them. This is vital. The idea of creating a legacy of faith will be attacked and demonized. Others will say that we shouldn't force our beliefs on our children, but let them make up their own minds. That's our culture today. Don't force your beliefs on anyone, especially your own children. Let them make up their own minds. And the truth is that they will have to make up their own minds one day. But what I am suggesting is not to force anything on anyone, but merely to share the love and grace of God with them. When attack comes from our culture, maybe from some family members, maybe you're sitting here today and you've tried to create this culture, this environment of faith in your home, and people in your very own family have said things or tried to attack that situation, it's going to come. So what do we do? We go to our greatest resource. It's prayer. We cry out to him. We say, God, I need your strength. I need your resolve. Our greatest weapon to protect our family and our future family is prayer. 
The example of Christ is a powerful one in John chapter 17. We're not going to turn there for time's sake. But John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. And he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And he prays for those that will believe on the word of the disciples. That being the church, the future church. We too must pray for those that will believe. That is truly what the church is. The spreading of the amazing message of God's love and grace and his forgiveness of sins. To do that effectively, we must seek through prayer the power and infilling of his Holy Spirit. You see, we can pray for our children, our grandchildren. Maybe you're here and you have a child that isn't quite at getting married and having children's age, kids' age, and you begin to pray now, God, be with them when they become a mom or a dad. God, be with their children if and when they have children by your grace. Allow them to lead them in a Christ-like way. Begin now praying for those children and grandchildren and allowing God to speak through that situation. And I'm telling you, it will make a vast difference in what God desires to do through your home and in your family. Communicate the word of God to them. Be consistent, be constant in your own personal faith. And be constantly in prayer for them. Prayer is not the least you can do, it is the most you can do. See, we, we are limited in what we can do. I can only do so much, you can only do so much. You're not with your kids 24-7. I mean, some of you are, but you may not always be, Right? When your kid goes to school, when your kid gets older and goes to college, what are you going to do? You can't be there to correct them and control them at every moment. So what do you do? You begin learning now the discipline of praying for them, praying God's spirit over them, and allowing them to learn those things as they go through life. I truly believe the most important thing we can do as Christian parents is to pass on a legacy of faith to our children. And again, some of you are doing that. Some of you have already begun that process. Some of you are starting out new. You're just now married. You're just now engaged, and you're wanting to kind of begin that process. Whether you are a part of a legacy of faith, your parents or grandparents were followers of Christ, and you are as well, or if you are the first to know Christ in your family and you are starting the legacy, it can be done, and the rewards will always outweigh the cost. The key we must remember is that your faith must be your faith. Your parents' faith will not save you. It's a personal acceptance and profession of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. I say all that to say this. I do not come from a legacy of faith. I don't come from a home. I didn't grow up in a home that was a Christian home. I grew up in a home where my, my parents, my mom received Christ when she was much younger, seven years old or so, but lived vastly different than, the, than, than just living in the world. She was an alcoholic. She was a bartender. Uh, we lived in inner city Detroit. And so she worked at bars on seven mile and six mile, uh, six, seven in Gratiot, six in Gratiot area. Very rough areas, biker bar kind of things. She had friends that were names like Hook and Killer. I mean, these were people she knew. She didn't know Christ intimately as far as a relationship. My, my stepdad was a very moral guy, but, but lived in the world. And so when I was 16 and I walked into Camp Chautauqua Auditorium down in Miamisburg, Ohio, and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and I knew I needed something. I didn't have it at home. I was always told, just be a good person. You'll go to heaven when you die because God is good and, you know, He'll see your good works. I didn't realize the weight of my sin. And so at 16, when I received Christ and I began that journey of faith, I can't tell you the things that God has shown me. And after I was saved, about a year and a half later, my mom rededicated her life to the Lord and began to walk with the Lord again. My stepdad, about 2002, this would have been 98 when I was saved, 2002, he receives Christ. It's very immature in his faith, but knows the Lord. The same summer that I was saved, my younger brother was saved, and we were both baptized together at the church over on 
Clear Lake Road. I'm telling you right now, it, it, it doesn't matter so much where you come from. Some of you are not coming from Christian backgrounds. That's okay. It's today. What are you going to do right now with Jesus? Some of you come from Christian backgrounds, and you grew up into that, and you don't know Christ. You went to church every Sunday. You were there. I mean, you memorized all the verses. You were the kid with all the badges on. You know, you were the atypical, perfect little kid sitting in the front row. You were the, press, the kid in the press suit. Like, that was you. And you don't know Christ. Because you just went to church because your parents made you go to church. And then this morning is about you knowing Christ personally. Or maybe you're there and you don't even know God. You don't know Christ. You don't know the Bible. Maybe you think to yourself, I'm too bad of a person. I mean, look at the things I've done. God could never save me. And I'm telling you right now, there is no sin beyond saving and forgiving. He is so gracious and he is so good. And I'm telling you right now, this is the opportunity you have. You are not guaranteed tomorrow, the Bible says. So what will you do with the message of Christ today? Will you receive him as your savior? Receiving his free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the guarantee of eternal life in heaven? The Bible says you have a choice to make. There's only two options. You receive Christ and find his heaven, or you pay for your own sins, which you're allowed to do. The Bible says you can pay for your own sins. It's in a place called hell, separated from God for all eternity under judgment and condemnation. And you might say, that sounds like a very unloving thing for God to do. God is very loving, but he's also very just and holy, and sin must be paid for. And he's so loving, he said he sent his son to die for your sins. But you can choose to ignore that gift and try to pay for it on your own. You're not a robot. He's not going to make you get saved. It's your choice. See, love that is forced is not true love, but love that is openly accepted with joy is true love. So what are you going to do this morning? In just a moment, we're going to have a family come and dedicate. We're going to have some baptisms. But before we do, I'm going to have a word of prayer. We're going to have what we call an invitation. And all this is is a time for you to respond to what God might be speaking to you on. We're going to have a time of music, and you can sing with the band in just a moment. But before we do all that, I'm going to pray. And so here's what I want to do. Would you just bow your heads right there where you are? You just bow your heads right there where you are. Every head bowed, just begin to kind of speak to God through prayer as the band comes and, and they get ready. Whatever God has been speaking to you on this morning, whether you're here and you don't know him as Savior, and maybe the Holy Spirit's beginning to prick your heart on that, Maybe you're here and you know Christ is your Savior and you want to grow in your faith. You know that personally, maybe there's some struggles there and you want to ask God, God, give me the strength and the resolve to stay focused on you, to be patient as you are patient with me. Maybe you're here and with heads bowed and nobody looking around, you don't even know Christ. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've kind of done that whole thing and you, were, you thought that going to church would, would be enough. That would be good enough for God. Let me just tell you that his love for you is amazing. His grace for you is everlasting. And he wants to save you, to have relationship with you, to forgive you of your sins. And so here's what I want to do this morning with heads bowed. However God is speaking to you, whether you want to come up front and just bow a knee and just separate away from everybody else, See, up here isn't any more holy than in your seats. There's no more God in the front than there is in the back. It's just simply saying, I want to separate away. I want to just take a moment, and I want to focus in on what God has for me. Maybe you want to come and you want to pray with a family member, a spouse. Maybe you want to come and pray individually. Maybe you want to pray there in your seats. 
whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him and his Holy Spirit, what he's speaking to you on? I truly believe that the greatest gift we can give our families, our children and our grandchildren, is, is a knowledge of the love of God for them, a knowledge of his grace, a knowledge of his salvation and the word of God, that they could grow and become all that God has for them, experience the blessings of just knowing him, an eternal blessing of knowing Christ. Whatever it is that God is doing, maybe you want to respond this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you want to come and pray for Sharon. You want to come and pray for healing, wisdom. Maybe you'd come this morning and bow a knee and say, God, I'm just going to lift up Sharon, ask you to do a great work there. Father, bless now this time. Holy Spirit, we don't have to beg you or convince you to come and work in us, through us. We understand you're already doing that. So we just pray that we would not quench you in any way, but that we'd be open to what you have for us. That you would lead us, guide us into all truth, convicting us of sin and righteousness, that we would surrender and submit to what you have for us. Thank you for all that you do, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the band leads us in a song? Would you just respond to him? Whether you want to come and pray, bend the knee, come pray for Sharon, pray for whatever's going on in your life, or you want to just in your seats pray and worship him this morning. Let's sing to him and celebrate Christ this morning.